Our reading this morning is taken from John chapter 21. John chapter 21, beginning at verse 1. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. I'm sorry, it's starting at verse 15. I got that wrong, didn't I? Um, Verse 15. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus didn't say that he wouldn't die. He only said, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. And Heavenly Father, it's so hard just to really take on board all that you have done for us. But we come before you in gratitude, with thanksgiving, for all that you have done. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts and minds now, to take that knowledge of all that you have done for us, and to place it deep in the centre of our lives that we might respond in worship to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? This was the deep question that Jesus asked of Peter. He started by saying, who do others say I am? Who do other people say I am, Peter? What are they talking about? When they're wondering who I am and what I'm doing, what conclusions are they coming to? Some, said Peter, think you're John the Baptist. 
reincarnated. Some think you're Elijah, some Jeremiah, some another prophet. And Jesus turned and looked at Peter. But who do you say I am? And almost without hesitation, Peter returned, replied, turned back to him and replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That moment in the heart of the Gospel, at the midpoint of that recognition that Peter knew who Jesus was, not just as the friend he travelled with, not just as the teacher. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, a profound confession of faith. Peter knew Jesus and he knew who he was. And yet in the courtyard, after seeing Jesus taken away by the soldiers, Peter sits by a fire. And a woman comes up to him and says, I recognise you. Aren't you one of the friends of Jesus? Aren't you one of his followers? Aren't you one of his disciples? And the reply came quickly, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I don't know him. I'm not one of his friends. And the cock crowed. No wonder Peter has returned to his day job. No wonder he has questioned all that has gone on and cannot work it out, cannot hold on to the promises that Jesus had made that he would rise from the dead, despite stories of his resurrection, despite even seeing him himself. Peter is in confusion and in deep despair and returns to what he knows best, his day job. And the beginning of our chapter finds us there. Peter is out catching fish. If you want to have it open in front of you, we're in John 21. And in the Pew Bibles, it's page 1090. They've gone back to what they know. Because it's all too confusing. It's all too difficult. It blows their mind. And what do you do when you're in that place of confusion? You go back to what is comfortable and secure. And they've gone back to fishing. And they're not doing very well. And they see someone on the shore who calls out to them to try on the other side. And a miraculous catch of fish is brought into the boat. And Peter spots the man on the shore and recognises who he is and runs to him. And we pick it up at verse 15. Jesus appears and has breakfast with them. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? 
And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three times, no, I do not know him. Three times the question, do you love me? Three times the answer, you know I love you. Is Jesus having a go at Peter? Is he pointing out his faults? No. He's lovingly picking him up and saying, I know all about you, Peter. I know you messed up big time. But I want to hold you. I want to restore you. I want to take you back to that place of pain. It is no coincidence he asks three times. We try to avoid the places of pain. We try to keep moving on. This event hasn't affected me. I can carry on in my own strength. And yet we can't because it sits as a burden on our shoulders. And Peter could not have carried on with the ministry that Jesus had for him without going back to that place of denial. Three times he denied Jesus. And so three times Jesus asks him the question. And three times Jesus, uh, Peter is able to affirm, you know I love you, Lord. But three times Jesus takes that sense of love and commissions him for work. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. This is beautiful, this passage. This is about Jesus knowing who we truly are. The rubbish parts as well as the good parts. But seeing the potential and knowing who Peter truly is designed to be and healing him, restoring him in the most beautiful way. Having eaten together, he takes him aside, takes him back to that place of pain and renews it. The number three means something different now to Peter. He can't take away the event, but he can renew it. And Jesus does that for Peter. And this is the power of Easter. This is why we celebrate this season. This is why we live as Easter people. Because Jesus' death and resurrection transforms us and allows us to become the people that God wants us to be. Peter doesn't need to go back to his day job. That's not what his destiny is. He's been made a fisher of men, not a fisher of fish. But he has to be recommissioned and restored to move on. And there's more to come. There's going to be a further commissioning to Peter and all the disciples. To make disciples of all people as Jesus ascends into heaven. And then there's going to come that day at Pentecost when Peter and the others are empowered by the Spirit and Peter is able to go out into the crowds and to preach the good news of Jesus alive. Because Easter doesn't stand alone. And I hinted at this on Easter Day. I talked about the church calendar that begins late November, early December and runs for that calendar year and takes us from the preparation before Jesus' birth, through to his birth, through to the period of Lent, to Easter, and then takes us beyond Easter to the ascension when Jesus ascended, went back to be with his Father in heaven. 
And then the sending of the Holy Spirit. And that takes half a year. And then the rest of the church calendar is ordinary time. And I wanted to suggest it's extraordinary time. Because that's what we live in. We live post-Easter Ascension and Pentecost. And we live in the power of all that they mean. And that is why I can stand today and say that God is about transformation. That is why the Guilford Diocese has a logo that says Transformed Church, Transformed Life. That is why we're going to have a sermon series that takes us into some of the detail and practical application of what we know in our heads and what needs to sink through to every aspect of our life, to five o'clock on a Wednesday when we're at our lowest, to the middle of the night when we can't sleep, to the stressful situations we find on a Friday morning. Wherever we are, we are transformed people of God, living out our lives as disciples of him because of Easter, Ascension and Pentecost. So Easter is just the beginning. And I want to read what a New Testament scholar, a, a lovely woman called Paula Gooder, who's doing a lot of writing at the moment. If ever you get a chance to read one of her books, I'd recommend her. She's very easy to read. She's very learned, but she makes it understandable. So what I love about her is that her, her mind is just full. It's phenomenal. I've heard her answer questions that haven't been prepared. And the depth of knowledge that she has is phenomenal. But when she speaks, she makes it really understandable. And I think, actually, I can understand this. And she brings fresh insights. So Paula Gooder, New Testament scholar, find a book. She's great. And this is what she says about this period of Easter, Pente- uh, Ascension and Pentecost. So Easter is where um, the death and resurrection transforms us and allows us to become the people that God wants us to be. We move on to ascension, which is 40 days after Easter. And ascension gives us the motivation to act, she writes. Because if Jesus had remained on earth, Jesus is alive, but he's not here on earth. He is alive, so theoretically he could be here on earth now. But he is alive in heaven. But if he had remained on earth, proclaiming the good news, healing the sick, befriending the poor and oppressed. Human nature is such that we would leave him to do it. Isn't that right? If he was here today, we would not do what he's commissioned us to do. Ascension offered a vacuum, a space that could only be filled if the disciples and we picked up the challenge and took it on. Ascension provides the motivation for what Easter has made to be true. Ascension offers the challenge to carry on believing that God is about transformed lives and gives us the task of taking that on and acting on behalf of Jesus to do that. But the disciples and we could not have done that on our own, which is where Pentecost comes. And Pentecost is the sending of the Spirit, which gave them the ability to do what otherwise they were incapable of doing. Beyond their human limitations, fears and anxieties, the Spirit-filled disciples were at last able to do all that Jesus asked. They had to wait for that process. 
And that was really painful. And we see what they've done returned to their old ways of being. By the day of Pentecost, they're hiding in a room because they're scared. But they needed to go through that journey in order to do all that Jesus asked of them. And we live as Jesus' disciples, knowing the reality of what Easter has meant, has broken through everything. Death is conquered. Christ is alive. And we live in that truth. But we live in the vacuum, sometimes known as the um, the in-between times, the now, but not yet. We know that Jesus will return. But in the vacuum, which is now over 2,000 years, it is up to us to continue what Jesus began on earth. But we can only do it through the power of the Spirit. And Pentecost was that special day because the Spirit came in a new and in a fresh way. The Spirit had always been there but given in a special way as Jesus had promised to equip the disciples and us to live in that incredible way. And so we live in ordinary, or as I'd like to think about it, extraordinary times. And that's why we want to look at this period of time as a church as to what is this meaning for us. I hope you've got a term card. These are really useful. I've got mine pinned up on my notice board because it tells me everything that is going on this term. All the special dates, all the regular dates, and what the sermon titles are going to be. If you haven't already got one, pick one up today because it will really help you through this term. If you've taken one away and you've lost it, we'll forgive you. You can have another one. But it's really important you have one of these. They they look beautiful, but that's not why we've made them. We've made them to help you. So that together we are on a journey. Because it's not just about me or whoever else it is standing up at the front. We need to travel together. And I have a real sense that God wants to take us on this journey. And just being aware of what's happening, and particularly what time the service is, will really help us. So take one of these away, refer to it each week, but think about what we're going to be doing. So we've got a series called Transformed Church, Transformed Life. And the topics up until um, Pentecost, which is the 4th of June, are all about what it means to be a transformed church. Next week, we're thinking about taking up the challenge. We've got a guest speaker coming. It's Vacation Sunday, and we've got William Chalice coming to actually help us all think about the vacation that each and every one of us has. So come and be challenged and be inspired, because God calls us all, and that's what William's going to come and talk about. We're then going to think about what it means to be a church, one body, many parts, because we're not all the same, praise God. We all bring different gifts and different talents, and we need to use them well. We'll then move on and think about what it means to be a fellowship of believers, And in advance of Pentecost, we're going to think about the promise of the Spirit, what Jesus has promised, and then a celebration on Pentecost itself when the Spirit came in that new and exciting way. And then we're going to move on and think a little bit more about our own personal lives, transformed life. Because the first part is about us as a church. The second part is about us as people. Because it's a lifelong journey. 
I am being transformed. It doesn't all happen the moment I accept Jesus as my saviour. It's a lifetime and it's hard work and it's challenging. But it's exciting and exhilarating as we see the power of God in our lives. But I want to look at some of the difficult issues because we need to stand out as different in today's culture. That's why I started with Romans. Don't conform to the world around you, but be transformed by God inside you. So we're going to look at issues like integrity. What does that look like in our day-to-day life? Our relationships. Are we setting a good example and are we living true, good relationships? Social justice. God has a heart for the poor, do we? Prayer. Money. It's always the hard one, isn't it? Are we trusting God with the decisions we make about our money? And what does that look like? And then finally, anxiety. Because Jesus comes and says, do not worry. And yet, stress is the biggest problem facing our society, some would say. And Christians are not exempt. So we're going to be on quite a challenging journey. But we're doing it because of the power of who God is and what he has done. Because we believe that he transforms lives, transforms the church, transforms each and every one of us. And I long for stories. I hear stories all the time, but I've never had enough stories of transformed life. And I want to show you a clip because Justin Welby is encouraging us through this period as well to pray for others, to pray that lives will be changed. And he's telling now a story of one life that has been transformed. So just watch this and then I'll end. Very often people question and debate the purpose of prayer. And they do so understandably. But when they do, I often find myself thinking of individual stories. An individual like Luke, for example. Luke is an artist and filmmaker whose drug addiction took a grip of his life in his late 20s. Luke's ambitions and relationships fell apart and the darkest period of his life took hold. He realized he had a serious problem and tried everything within his capacity at the time to get well. Nothing worked. Unknown to him, throughout this period, his mum had been praying this very simple prayer. Please, Lord, welcome Luke and let him know you're with him. This addiction is beyond our influence. I pray you can send the right people to help and I pray you can give Luke a second chance to do the work I truly believe you intended for him. Well, one day, a chance meeting with a stranger led him to church, except it obviously wasn't chance. On that day, Luke encountered Jesus Christ. A network of prayer and recovery groups quickly opened up to him. Now, after over seven years of continuous sobriety, Luke is free from the terror and pain of addiction. He participates in running the recovery groups that helped him and takes the experience and hope into prisons. He's traveled the world making films, many of which are about the life-transforming love of Jesus Christ, including this one. The prayers spoken by Luke's mum and his subsequent freedom from addiction echo many thousands of life-transforming testimonies around the world. Whatever our struggles, through the confusion and the mess of the world, when life just doesn't make sense, 
or when it makes huge sense. So both in our darkest and in our happiest moments, Christ is with us always. Through prayer, Jesus invites us to come alongside him, to take part. God doesn't only meet one in the depths. Christ is available to each of us. He's there for us, wherever we are, whatever our story is. That's why I invite you to join the many thousands of people that have already pledged to pray during Ascension and Pentecost so that more people would come to know a life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. Like last year, we're going to run some events around thy kingdom come theme. And there'll be some, you'll see in your news sheet, there's information about beacon events at the cathedral. We will give you more information. But today I want to inspire you with that film. Peter went from the depths of despair. He went from sitting in that courtyard, denying his saviour the hardest thing to recover from. To actually have sat and said, I do not know the man who has died for me. I do not know the man who has brought me from one life and taken me into another. Jesus met with him and restored that darkest place. And Peter was transformed and was vital in beginning the early church. We are transformed, not always in such dramatic ways, but Jesus takes us as we are, takes the mess, the vulnerability, the weakness of our lives and meets with us and transforms us. And we can pray for others. What a simple prayer. Welcome Luke and let him know you're with him. And through that constant prayer, Luke was able to encounter Jesus Christ. That is what we are about. Opportunities for ourselves and for others to encounter Jesus Christ, the life of all. The light of the world who brings life in all its fullness to each and every one. So we're going to travel this journey with excitement, with expectation challenging something of our own lives too because I want to live in the fullness of Christ and I need to look at every aspect of my life and perhaps be challenged about some of the areas that I'd rather not look at and as a church we want to look at how more might we work together to minister together to be the hands and feet of Jesus here on earth not for our sake but for the sake of those who do not yet have that living relationship with Jesus Christ. Because that's why we're here. That is why the church exists. It is wonderful to celebrate here. But our job and our ministry is to help others to encounter Jesus. But we need that for ourselves first. We need to take our stories that can say, Look what Jesus has done within my life. And then be inspired to speak to others. So I hope that you will embrace this journey. I hope you'll take your term cards, come with expectation each Sunday, open and ready to listen, perhaps not to agree with everything, and that's good, to go back to your home groups 
we've got some study guides um, for the first half of the term that will link complementarily with this. It's not exactly what I've said on a Sunday, but it will link with what we're talking about. And it's about what does whole life worship look like. So it's taking the same theme, but from a slightly different angle. So talk amongst your home groups. Be real with one another. Share stories of transformation in your own life and in those of others, because that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. Because I know what Jesus does. I see it with my eyes, week after week. And we need to share those stories. So do that in your home groups. Pray for one another. And pray for your friends. Pray that your friends will also have that life-transforming encounter with Jesus Christ. That is what it means to live an extraordinary time. And we live an extraordinary time. I'm going to play a CD. It's an old hymn. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. It's sung by Jonathan Vera, who some of you will know. He lives in Guildford, is an opera singer, and sings Christian songs as well. But use this time just to listen to the words and to commit at the beginning of this term. Say, yes, Lord, I will travel this journey, whatever it will look like, over the next few weeks, believing that you can transform me and you can transform others. That's very simple. Never mind about the detail. Today, I commit to journey, believing that you transform me and others. And let's use this as prayer.
take myself and I will be 